As we prepare for Purim 5782, we're resharing our reflections from last Purim about Esther and company. Tune in next week on the actual holiday to hear more Jews Talk Racial Justice reflections on Purim. This is Jews Talk Racial Justice with April and Tracy, a weekly show hosted by April Baskin and Tracy Guy Decker. In a complex world, change takes courage. Wholehearted relationships can keep us accountable. Hi, Tracy. Hey, April. It's great to see you. <laughs> it's good to see you too. So this week we have Purim. Purim. Woohoo! Like I need a grogger or something. I know exactly. <laughs> I don't have one. That's my that's my grogger impression. <laughs> nice. Nice. <laughs> I know. It sounds more like a duck that's like having indigestion or something. <laughs> but, but, um, so, you know, in the Talmud, we, we read that when Adar, um, enters that joy increases, right. The month of Adar in which Purim is, is situated. Yes. Yay. Yay. Thank you for explaining that. Yes, exactly. Um, it's the Jewish lunar month of Adar and, uh, and so I love this as someone who is really into joy. I also like to think when justice enters, joy increases. Nice. Nice. <laughs> and joyous justice. And, you know, I mean, so to me, I think there's some really interesting things to unpack here. This is obviously very on brand for us in terms of joy. And in some ways to me, it's on brand and other ways it's not. Right. So, um, Yeah. So I just, there's a lot that we could unpack here. I feel like I have, should, sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. You. no, no, go ahead. I feel like we should start with just the basic story that we are kind of commemorating with Purim, like the basic That's story of Esther idea. and Mordechai for those who are listening, who maybe don't have that right on the tip of their brains. Um, so nutshell, yeah. nutshell, yeah. right? Nutshell. Um, in the time of King Ahasuerus, um, there was, through a, a, a bizarre sort of encounter with the existing queen, Queen Vashti, um, King Ahasuerus decides he wants a new queen. And so he sends out for to see all the maidens and he's going to pick the most beautiful. And um, Esther, who happens to be Jewish, is chosen um, to be the new queen. And then through a whole sort of comedy of errors and egos, um, the <laughs> king's advisor, the evil Haman, sets up a plot to sort of kill <laughs> Thank you. you. You're supposed to blot out his name. Every time we hear his name, we, we, we're supposed to make noise so that you can't hear it. Anyway, so this evil um, advisor comes up with this plot to have all the Jews killed. Um, and that is Esther's moment. Esther's moment to say to the king, you know what? I'm Jewish. She was there yeah. for a time such as this. <laughs> it was it was beshert as they as they say. Um it was it was meant to be. So in the end, um the king spares all the Jews' lives and instead Haman and his um co-conspirators kind of uh get what get what's coming to them, I guess you should say. And it became um this is like a lot of Jewish stories, right? They tried to kill us. We survived. Let's eat. But Purim is a little different because it's that's not all we say. We say in this one, we say they tried to kill us. We survived. Let's do a silly play and get really drunk, 
which is a, a different, it's, that's sort of the unique thing about Purim, um, which I think is really interesting. In fact, there's one, I think it's, it must be in the Talmud. There's one sort of say, fr- saying that on Purim, you should drink so much wine that you can't tell the difference between Haman, Boo, and Mordechai, who is uh, Esther's uncle and the the Jewish hero of the story. Um, Besides, well, he's one of the heroes. One of the heroes. One of the heroes. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> Besides Esther. Esther obviously is the hero, but Mordechai has an, an important supporting role. <laughs> yes, yeah. very much so. And, um, and all of the story, the source of the story is the book of Esther, which is what we read from, which sort of Tracy was mentioning is, is the source of the different Purim spiels or Purim plays that uh, come about. I'm remembering some of the tunes as you were telling the story from different Purim spiels of your, like in my childhood at my synagogue, um, they did, a, you know, like a Broadway style one where they took different show tunes. And yep. so as you were singing, I was like, King Ahasuerus standing beside you. Anyways, I have like all these like <laughs> um, songs in my head that were composed by a beloved uh, community member who um, passed not too long ago, Lydia Owens. And, uh, and, and it makes for good segues for me as I'm facilitating different programs. So, um, you know, and so there's a few different things that we could talk about here. One that I recently learned uh, that may be old news for some, and but it's just it's still worth mentioning to me, is that Purim is actually quite similar to a number of holidays in other traditions around this time. That in different parts of the world, this is the time when things are very dark still and cold. And so midway through this season of cold and transition, is a great time to, so, so separate from the mystical, uh, spiritual, religious elements, some Jews have analyzed that it also makes sense sort of sociologically and communally that this would be happening at a time often when it's still cold and dark, that people engage in uh, merriment and joy and silliness and turning things upside down and backwards uh, to make light of what can be an exhausting period of quiet and darkness, right? And to bring some levity and light into it and eat, eat hamantashen that, you know, people say, or that it's um, customary to eat a three pointed cookie with yumminess in the middle that is supposed to be symbolic of the hat of the person whose name will not be mentioned. It is oddly like some recent leaders we've had, um, uh, um, such as the former White House occupant, but um, you know, so so yeah, so so that's like so. Thank you, Tracy, for that really great intro. Um, so as I thought about things I could talk about, one of the things that I'm not so interested in talking about <laughs> that I'm saying is like, but that I've thought about a lot before are just the feelings, some of the feelings of connection that I have, I felt with Esther, as I've been in some very prominent Jewish leadership positions in the past, some of those circles weren't ready for the fullness of my identity. And so a couple of years ago, I viscerally, um, in a way that I didn't in my childhood, but I could viscerally, because often I was like, I was more in Vashti's camp. Like, I still want to hear, I still want to hear Vashti's story. Like, like Esther's the scab. 
who sent it's in. Like, I want to, I want to know what's happening with Vashti. You know, where is she living? What's her life? Yeah. Like now, or she stood up for herself. Yeah. Yeah. You know, as a young girl, like who was raised as a feminist, like I was like, I want to know that story. But, but as I was in different leadership positions over the last few years, I, f- while Black Lives Matter was really beginning to gain traction and I had this prominent position and I was in this token role and uh, feeling the need, you know, I was put into this, you know, I was created for a time such as this and certain things need to be said. Um, And so, and so I, I now connect with, I connect with both. I feel like I've been both Vashti and, and Esther. I'm curious for folks who are listening, regardless of gender in your life, in certain parts of your life, or just in general, are, do you more vibrate with uh, Esther's energy of being brought in, of being the chosen person? Um, uh, and also someone who uh, is welcomed in at a price right. that she has to hide parts of who she is in order to be welcomed in? Or are you someone who's a bit more like Vashti? He's like, uh, 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 I'm not playing that game and I'm willing to pay the price. Right. So Vashti, I didn't, in my nutshell, I didn't tell the story, but um, the King one night while he was drinking um, ordered her to come before him. Um, And it's, it's very unclear to me from the Megillah exactly what it means, but the commentators make it clear that they, the King wanted the queen, Queen Vashi to come naked uh, to dance or somehow perform in the nude for him and his um, homies, courtiers, (laughs) homies. Right. And she, she refused. She said, "Uh uh-uh, not doing it. And so he said, well, you're not queen. I know. Yeah. Yeah, there's a and there's a lot of yeah, there's a lot of power in that no. But it's it's really interesting that you're putting the I mean, the text does too, but it's really interesting that you're lifting up these two women, right? Who use power yeah. in different ways, right? Vashi uses yeah. her power to say no, even though she faces the consequences. And Esther, you're right, she's chosen, but she's not she's the chosen one to be the king's consort and then becomes then becomes the chosen one to save the Jews because of the um, because she's in this in the position to to do so. Um, she was incognito. Totally, totally. No, it's and it's really interesting in thinking about some of the conversations that I've been having out loud and in my head about white Jews and whiteness. Um, that's what's coming up for me thinking about Esther, right? Who passed for whatever you know non-Jewish. Right. It wasn't whiteness, obviously, um, but the the Persian majority did not. She just was a beautiful woman. There was there was not there was the Jewish identity was a hidden one for her, and so that's the parallel that I'm seeing. And it, it's just, um, yeah, I'm not sure where to where to go with it. But it's also really interesting to me because we started here with joy and the fact that we make these spiels, these these plays that are supposed to be funny and we're supposed to really like whoop it up and get drunk um, is associated with this. Like, so, so the, the farce of it on layered on top of the very real 
you know, truth with a capital T um, about power dynamics and about identity politics and identity and gender and all of those things that are alive and real then get layered onto them with these, the farce, which is really, really fascinating to me, Um, especially um, as it sits in constellation with the other Jewish holidays, right? Like that that this is the one that we choose to layer on that. Um, right. Ours. Yeah. Right. Whereas like you could kind of potentially in some ways with other stories also have a similar, like a land full of frogs is kind of funny. Yeah. Yeah. And locusts. And I mean, like you see the sort of inkling of that with some of the, um, Passover, um, traditions of like having the toys or like throwing rice or whatever for the, um, for the lice, but it's, but it's not, it's not, it is not the same. Even when you're required to even being required to drink four cups is not the same <laughs> as being invited to get so drunk. You can't tell the difference between the bad guy and the good guy. So, right. and the timing is interesting too. Um, right before we started recording, uh, I'm going to bring this back up. I was looking at, um, I love this book, uh, Seasons of Our Joy by Arthur Waskow. I, I was introduced to it as an undergrad and I come back to it again and again, but Waskow was looking at why do we do Purim, this farcical one, right before Passover? And his answer is really fascinating to me, especially for us. Let's hear it. So he says, when the original history happened, the sublime liberation of Exodus came long before the farce of Purim. But when we finish living that history and begin to learn it, absorb it into our lives, digest it so that we can make a holy future then it may be important for us to laugh first, to let the farce come first. For power is funny, and those who hold power are ridiculous. The first stage of liberation is that we learn to laugh at them. But power is also profound, and liberation is also at the root of all the universe. Having learned to laugh, we become ready to seek our freedom seriously. There is a time to laugh, and then there is a time to ask questions. Right. Anyway, and I thank you for reading that. Cause that's the segue perfectly for me that leads into my broader point that I want to make without being a killjoy. And that's the perfect way to do it. So I love this because it's what it's saying. What essentially to me, part of what he's saying, a reading of it could be is that in terms of how things manifest and come into being, the vibration needs to precede the action and outcomes that if we want to move in the direction of liberation um, or we want to achieve an outcome, at times people think that like our happiness comes as a result of things. And the big secret is that you need to find a way to get happy first and not, and have unconditional, have an unconditional and not all the time. Like we're not meant to be happy all the time, but more, but when you can, right? Like we all like life's hard and we want to take risks and those things are scary. And so there's an up down, but when we go up that it's instead of it just being flat and risking, but that we do have that and that we do access joy, right? Because for me, I'm both happy that it's a dar, but the reason I'm happy is because I feel joyous much of the time. And so I'm glad now, finally, now that this administration is here, but I'm like, we could have been happy this whole time outside of when we're processing trauma, it's like a broader point, right? <laughs> and like, I know some people are like buckling their seatbelt. They're like, oh boy. But like, you know, but really like what might've been possible for us? Like I just, 
I think I talked about this before, but the connection wasn't good, but like two of my elders who have both since passed and um, whose spirits I still carry with me, um, my grandpa Joe and my Graham, they were two people who went through horribly difficult things. And ultimately they also still were consistently happy people. And I thought of them a lot in 2016 after the election and thought like if my grandfather could survive Jim Crow and if my gram could be sick at one point to the point where she broke a rib, she was coughing so hard from pneumonia. And still when I would talk to her before and after that, she was primarily in a place of, I'm so happy. I feel really grateful. I love my life. Right. Like if people can go through these things and she was the daughter of Pennsylvania coal miners, like she grew up during the depression. Um, and it occurred to me that there's likely nothing that I'm going to go through. That's going to be any worse what they went through. And if they could find joy in their circumstance authentically, and that doesn't mean when things were hard, they faked it or they buffered it. No, like I've seen, I'd seen both of them be sad at times or upset, but like my grandpa's famous line. And according to my mom, he would often change it. I just remember often with me when I remember him saying it, when I'd ask him how he, do, how he was doing, he'd say, oh, I'm 60, 40, put his hand on his pot belly. Oh, I'm 60, 40. I mean, 60% is good. 40% not so much, but the 60% is good. <laughs> you know, and apparently sometimes he would say 70, 30, you know, it's more good than bad. I love it. <laughs> you know, like, and, and so for me, like, I think I just want to pose the arguably radical question of what if we start, whether it's joy or just other high vibrational feelings like peace, um, contentment, power, uh, calm, you know, what if we didn't have to wait? Um, what if our, what if that experience could be less conditional on external circumstances and how many more circumstances could we start to shift over time if we were able to stay in that place? And as I've heard, and I feel like I'm sure it's in some Jewish settings too. I've heard it said in some Christian settings when I've done interfaith work where they talk about being a thermostat versus a thermometer, right? I'm interested in being a thermostat. I'm interested in setting the temperature to joy and, and that being the case until there's something legitimate that shifts that. And then I go through a healing process around that. And then I go back, setting the temperature back to joy, as opposed to checking the thermometer based upon what month is it? Oh, it's a dar. Oh, now I'm allowed to be joyous. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it's interesting too, the thermostat um, metaphor, when things, <laughs> when things happen that are counter to where you've set the thermostat, it just means that the, the HVAC system has to work harder right? It doesn't, mm -hmm. you know, so it, it is harder to then achieve that, but, um, but that doesn't mean it's impossible. That's, that's kind yeah. of what I was thinking. Like you may have to like readjust again, as you were saying, but readjust um, or like if a door gets open and for a, a window breaks, then you need to focus on healing, break, healing right, the window. Right. You don't want to overwork. I'm not saying overwork the HVAC system and just, you know, spew just out keep, all these keep chemicals out in the, the ecosystem. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I'm saying, oh, wow, there's, there's damage. There's, there's damage. There's been harm. Let's heal it. Let's get a replacement window. Let's find out what the source of that was. Is there some kind of reconciliation? Is there some sort of healing, right? And then the last piece I want to make sure to say, which we should have said earlier, um, is also just acknowledging for me as someone who a part of my ongoing counter-oppressive 
or anti-oppressive learning, meaning just actions that are liberatory and moving um, in ways um, that encourage and foster justice rather than the ongoing harm without being in direct uh, engagement with which is why I like I've recently heard some folks say from the priestess Institute uh, counter oppressive as opposed to anti-oppressive. And I actually, I like that because it feels a little, it's a little bit more gentle. It's a little bit more spiritually aligned with my orientation toward it. Um, and one of those things is around alcohol. And so I also just want to name for folks as someone who is excited to be joyous during Purim. And also I live in a predominantly dry country and my partner is Muslim. And so he never drinks. I occasionally do. Um, but I also just want to name that, uh, you know, I, that addiction runs in my family. Um, and that none of, um, not a single one of our listeners should ever, ever, ever feel pressured in any way to have any alcohol, um, our blessings just say fruit of the vine. Um, and the Talmud piece does specifically say like get drunk enough, but um, often people think I'm drunk at times, not often, but at parties and things just because I have fun and I have a free spirit. And it's almost sad to me at times when th people think I'm intoxicated because I'm just happy. Like, it's not like I'm like taking off my clothes or doing something. It's just that I'm joyous and I feel free. And, you know, my wish for folks is that First, as I mentioned, that we feel entitled to start to access feelings of joy, that we can decide when, when, if, and when we want that. And again, joy, you can replace that with any other desired um, elevated state of mind, even if it's just peace or calm. Um, and, and that we get to celebrate in the ways that work for our body um, and things and, and engage in the things that bring us joy, like great company and music and fun. And it's perfectly wonderful to have um, alcohol-free Shabbats and Shabbatot and um, Purim holidays. So, so yeah. And I also can feel some of the anger of some of my friends. <laughs> and it's also to say like each person gets to decide. So <laughs> I'm not here to poo-poo um, how, how anyone observes, but I just wanted to make sure we make sure the, ensure that the, our tent of the conversation is broad to include. Yes, of course. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Did you want to say anything else, Tracy? Um, I, I guess I just, everyone is able to find the joy, however, however you get there and that we can maintain it as we move forward, as April says. Yes. And if you can't, that's why we're here. <laughs> you got us. We are here to maintain that joy is justice. <laughs> As Alicia Key says, stay tuned because there's more to see. So happy Adar. <laughs> Hadar Purim Sameach. May you have a happy, joyous Purim Purim and month of Adar and look for reasons to celebrate joy. One last thing, or one to engage in joy. One last thing I would suggest uh, is consider making a list as long as you can five to 20 things, maybe more um, of what things bring you joy. And over the course of this month, 
try to incorporate as many as you can into your day or your week. And it can be anything from something as extravagant, although I know in the States because of the pandemic, that might not be so feasible, but it's something like horseback riding, or it could just be enjoying a really good cup of tea or coffee um, and sitting with someone you love or sitting in silence and relaxing. It doesn't have to be expensive. It doesn't have to be ornate. I love that. I love that. And it doesn't have to be um, like nobody else is looking. It doesn't matter what other people would think of it. Like I have nope. multicolored dishes and I really love it when they're in a pattern in the, yeah <laughs> in the cabinet. And it's just a silly thing. But, and like when my husband puts the dishes away, when he's home, he doesn't care. And they're all, however, they just go in and <laughs> I go in and reorder them. Cause when I open the cabinet and it's in a pattern, it makes me happy. <gasps> so, you know, whatever, whatever it is that works for you, do it. Whatever. <laughs> all right. Take care. Much love. Thanks for tuning in. Our show's theme music was composed by Elliot Hammer. You can find this track and other beats on Instagram at Elliot Hammer. If this episode resonated with you, please share it and subscribe. To join the conversation, visit JewsTalkRacialJustice.com, where you can send us a question or suggestion, access our show notes, and learn more about our team. Take care until next time and stay humble and keep going.